Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. Series 6, Session 3, it's Thursday 29th of July 2021. Welcome back. This session's titled Vaccine Priorities Part 2, Prioritising Pregnant Women for the COVID-19 Vaccination. Well, with what lockdown 5.0 behind us and the restrictions slowly easing, I think we can take a moment to celebrate our position at this time. The success of this lockdown, amongst many things, is largely attributed to the efforts of our central and regional public health teams. Contact tracing, rapid response in partnership with the collective effort of every member of our community who abided by public health orders. Acknowledgement also goes, of course, to our primary care workforce who rapidly pivoted again to COVID active settings, kept their teams safe, maintained care for the community and um, contributed to the public health response through testing, support, communications, as well as the important work of the ongoing vaccine rollout. So well done all. Our conversations this morning again focus on the theme of prioritisation of vaccine in the community. How might we think about prioritisation at a public health level and what are some of the practical considerations on the ground in primary care? How will we maintain the balance between supply and demand whilst ensuring those who are deemed high priority can access safe vaccine through GP clinics in addition to the state hubs? And we'll turn a spotlight on a special group who've recently been deemed eligible under Phase 1B, pregnant women. How can we support pregnant women to access vaccine through primary care and state hubs? What do pregnant women want to know? And what has decided, what has guided decision-making for this group? So these are some of the questions that we'd focus on this morning. Um, I'd like to uh, introduce uh, our panellists this morning. Let's just have a look and see if we've got the Zoom room. We've got everyone in the Zoom room. Um, so what's happening today? So we've got Kate Graham. Uh, she's going to bring us again the Health Pathways update. Um, this morning, we're joined by Associate Professor Rosemary Aldrich and Robin Wilson, uh, who'll bring us a public health update, a piece about understanding vaccine prioritisation. So I think last week we you know, had fantastic discussion about this, but it felt like there were some things that we really still are seeking to resolve in terms of really uh, understanding the thinking um, so that we can um, you know, play our role. I, I think that what we're going to look at is on the ground, we'll have a discussion about how do we bring about vaccine prioritisation through primary care because there's going to be difficulties. So I want to crack into some of the difficulties after um, we hear from Rosemary and Robin and, and have a bit of a discussion about that. Then we'll do a second part. We're going to have a feature presentation on prioritising pregnant women for COVID-19 vaccination. And um, we'll welcome a, a newcomer to ECHO, uh, Dr. Geraldine Mason. She's the Director of Women's um, Services at Bowen Health. Um, and uh, we welcome her to the region as well. She's new to the region, having um, come to down to Geelong uh, from the UK, uh, I think in 2020. So it'd be nice to for everyone to meet Geraldine, but we'll talk a little bit then about prioritisation of pregnant women and then we'll finish with the Primary Health Network update by Linda Govan and we'll make some time for any GPLU updates as well. All right, great. So with that, uh, I'm going to hand over to Kate Graham. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's lovely to see that we're in a really different position to where we were this time last week. Um, I think that the need to sort of remain uh, vigilant within primary care is really important um, given the presence of a new community case yesterday that's still under some quite extensive investigation. So in terms of the Health Pathways update this week, we've been um, working hard to get all the pregnancy um, specifics up online. So there's some quite good information in the eligibility and assessment section <coughs> of the vaccine procedure pathway. And so one of the issues that we're having at the moment um, in primary care is the fact that the um, federal um, eligibility checker for vaccination 
does not contain pregnant women as an eligibility criteria. And after discussing with the Department of Health yesterday, it may still be a couple of weeks um, until that occurs, just due to some of their IT and tech issues with updating criteria and the eligibility checker. Um, so from our point of view, um, what we're left with in general practice is a role to be able to communicate that out to um, pregnant women. I think for some of us, we sort of may have more contact with pregnant women throughout the whole pregnancy. For others, um, it may only be that sort of chance early in pregnancy. And so for some of our pregnant patients, they may be already under the care of other health services. So I think a lot of pregnant women will have seen the news and be aware that they are eligible now for vaccination. What they may not know is where to be able to access that Pfizer vaccination as the preferred option in pregnancy. And so that's sort of the communications that need to happen because that's usually where their federal eligibility checker takes you to. It usually takes you to the site where you can actually figure out which um, centres and locations near you are providing vaccination. So that's a sort of wait and hold this space um, and we'll have lots more discussion during the ECHO today. But apart from that um, and apart from the new requirement for um, some nasal swabs prior to heading to the snow, if any of you feel like escaping the relatively warmer weekend that we've got um, happening. So um, we'll leave that to the rest of the team for the morning. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Um, over to you, Rosemary and Robin. Thanks very much, Bianca, and good morning, everybody. I'm calling from Wadarong Country, and I'd like to add my um, acknowledgement to the one that Bianca's already given. So welcome, and thank you very much for inviting us back again. Um, so just by way of update, as Kate has described, the situation is that um, the outbreak that uh, started just a few weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, and forced us into lockdown um, two weeks ago tonight has um, apparently come under control because of the combined efforts of thousands of people across Victoria, um, not only the people who are working in the public health response in, in case control and outbreak management, but in rapid response testing, of course, continuing to vaccinate, the, the massive effort by our primary care teams here and elsewhere to ensure that people they are seeing who have the slightest of symptoms are getting tested also, but also the people of Victoria who I think we can see um, that practice has made us very responsive to the lockdown word and so it seemed like, like, like Victoria snapped shut within 12 hours of it being announced. And that certainly added to um, the efficacy of the work. And the fourth thing is, in fact, the thousands and thousands of people who were either in uh, quarantine or their contacts who also were quarantining with them, who did it almost entirely without complaint. You know, we've had conversations with over 20,000 people in the last two weeks across the state. And we haven't had it. We've had very little pushback or feedback that people... Um, have, you know, resisted what we've asked them to do. They've just got on with doing it for Victoria. And I think we're very um, grateful to the people of Victoria for doing that. Um, our, our response here in uh, the Grampians, and we know that our, our colleagues in Barwon also had outbreak response activities very locally. Um, we supported the metro regions. We had our own um, uh, exposure sites that we managed, but we also su supported metro. And our principal role, among others, was that we were the team managing the exposure site of Miss Frankie's, which turned out to be the cluster with the highest attack rate. About 50 out of 300 patrons and staff have so far tested positive. So um, that's been a tremendous amount of work. And while 
for the most part, some uh, public health units have more um, activity than others. Um, certainly, we're all well trained, so we can stand up very quickly if we need to, to do that kind of work. So I'd just like to acknowledge the members of our team, Rob and her leadership of the operational response team, um, all the while, as I said, continuing to vaccinate, continuing to stand up rapid response testing as we've needed to. It has been a magnificent job. With respect to um, uh, eligibility and prioritisation for vaccine, I'll hand over to Rob and then I'll come back to talk about how we prioritise in a local sense. Over to you, Rob. Thanks, Rosemary. Um, hi, everybody. Yep, it has been a whirlwind of the two weeks. And um, just so you know, in public health units, they often hand out um, exposure sites. They share them around as we in the, and you know we we've had dozens of them, and we just happened to land one of the one of the the the, the big givers. And so it's been an incredible um, two weeks working on that site, Miss Frankie's. Um, just about eligibility for uh, vaccine in the state-run clinics. Um, uh, we and, and to go to Kate's uh, question about um, women who are pregnant. So pregnant um, women aged 16 years and over are eligible to receive um, Pfizer in the state-run clinics um, from now. Um, I don't know whether you'll find on eligibility tracker, probably not yet. And, and there are some difficulties getting the appointments through the state um, call centre, but if they, they are definitely eligible to have the Pfizer vaccine in the state-run clinics at the moment, which is really good news. Um, the other the other people who have been added to that list, and it's ever growing, so I won't read it all to you because it just keeps um, evolving. The new the new group that have been added to it are the any school teachers um, who teach um, students with an underlying medical condition, and in my mind, that would be every teacher and every teacher across the state would have some a child with asthma, diabetes, or something. So I think it's um, one way of saying all teachers are now eligible, and that includes your early childhood te um, teachers as well. The age. Um, the only difference with um, the teaching group is they're not eligible for Pfizer um, 60 and over. So they, they, they have to fit within the other group. The group that are eligible for Pfizer regardless of age um, are all healthcare workers, public and private residential aged care and disability care workers and residents, hotel quarantine and border, border workers and household contacts of hotel quarantine and border workers. So they're the only group that and, and any contraindications for um, AstraZeneca of course so they're the group that are that um, can have Pfizer regardless of age other than that it's um, all, all the standard group plus the school teachers now been added into that um, and schools have really it's interesting every time we have an outbreak it seems to have a completely different focus and we every time we're learning to do something differently and this year this time it's been schools and we've all had massive amounts of schools and communicating with calling people who are, are children underage. And so it's been a, you know, a whole different challenge, um, um, but interesting every time. Um, so uh, what was I going with that? Oh, yeah, so it's the school teachers. Uh, the other people in that group are eligible for a vaccine now are your transport workers. So we really need to get them in. Um, as we know, that's how this, um, this latest outbreak started with transport workers. So they are also on the list for the state to get um, vaccine. Thanks very much, Rob. So uh, essentially... Yeah, Rosemary, do you mind if I just clarify one point yeah. that Rob, sorry, Rob made? Um, with that teachers with um, medic, you know, students with medical conditions, is that just a state eligibility or is that Commonwealth? That's in the list for the state. Okay, great. Um, if you like, I can share the state eligibility criteria that we've received. Um, there's, a, there's a 
two-page document. Um, it's quite detailed, so I can share that with you. I think that would be helpful because I think we last week had the conversation that um, under Commonwealth scheme, if they're looking up, if a teacher looking after a child who's on the NDIS yes. would qualify, yes. so we can do yes. that in Commonwealth <laughs> under state medical condition. Yes. And the thing I want to put in the chat, guys, let me know um, what can we do to support teachers um, highlight that eligibility. So um, I, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with teachers who are getting letters from principals who are saying that they have a child in their cohort with one of these conditions you know is that enough for you in general practice and is that enough for you in state you know how would you like um eligibility to be recorded for you so so just for from our of my own view um you're right you're right no you're off yeah we can Um, hear you so the just with the school there has been a letter sent to all the, the principals of schools across the state and then letters are being generated and pictures are coming in with letters to us great um as usual they found out before we did so, um, <laughs> so it sent us scurrying around trying to work out what had happened, um, but that was great. So, yes, anyone who comes in, um, they do need to bring a letter, please. That would be great if you see teachers. But the message is going through school principals through the Department of Education. Okay, great. Well, that tells me that even though, you know, that there's a campaign now, there's a push to vaccinate yeah. teachers, but it's under that, that caveat uh, under Commonwealth and state. That, yeah. You know. yeah. Just the other thing about teachers is that um, with the snow, we've had a lot of schools with um, trips to the snow plan. They'd all do, all students and teachers need to be tested 72 hours before they leave. The testing sites in Ballarat, we've sort of let, let St. Coms out in our region to know that that is part of the asymptomatic testing criteria. They are able to test um, in the respiratory clinics and tested clinics across the region for that group. Oh, damn. I wish I knew I would come to Ballarat instead of paying the $150 a pop for testing in Geelong. Wowee. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Well done. Okay. Thank you, Robin. Over to you, Rosemary. Thanks. I just, uh, thanks very much, Rob. So you're probably gathering that there's a difference between the ATAGI guidelines about who can get what vaccine and the eligibility so far about having access to the vaccine. Um, The rubber really hits the road for we here when all of us uh, would probably know a 15 year old who Uh, works in an aged care facility, for example. They may be a school student who does some cleaning or care shifts after school or on a weekend. And we're trying to find advice about how we can ensure that an aged care worker um, who is under the age of 16 or 18 can actually make sure that they're vaccinated also. Um, Which brings us to how we prioritise who gets what vaccine? Because clearly the, the ATAGI guidelines tell us that children between the ages of 12 and 16 now, um, that, ATA, that uh, Pfizer is safe for them. And so um, we know that there are children who are at risk. They belong to at-risk groups or indeed, uh, as I said, they work in certain settings or they may be um, residents of a boarding school, for example, and uh, are therefore in a group home. And essentially, um, in general terms, uh, prioritisation follows the um, risk and hazard um, framework, where, as we know, the hierarchy of risk mitigation has to do with elimination, um, ensuring we um, substitute, if we can, whatever the risk might be. Um, we have an engineering response to risk. We have administrative processes we can change, and then it comes to personal protective equipment or personal protective action that we can take. So when we look at that with respect to vaccine, we know that the hazard is COVID and getting COVID, the risk is both to the individual, but also a wider public health risk about that individual and what is happening around us. And the risk can either be strong, such as we would see in Southwest Sydney at the moment, and uh, or, or back to background levels, which effectively we've got, um, at least across the Grampians, 
uh, although the mystery case yesterday is still causing those of us on the inside quite some concern until we nail down the chain of transmission, if we can, about how that happened and certainly the impact of that case on others. Um, and then looking at the context of a person, and this really is trying to talk over with primary care, if you've got somebody in front of you who's saying, and, you're, and you've got a limited supply of Pfizer, and you know that Otagi says a whole lot of people can have it, then uh, according to whatever, whatever constraints you have upon you in terms of the Commonwealth constraints may be about how you use that Pfizer, but even within those Commonwealth constraints, you'll still have more people, you may well have more people who are eligible for it than you have supply. So how do you make that decision? And my response to that would be, well, look at the hazard. We can't, the hazard is ever present, but at the moment in our context, that hazard is um, somewhat distant, but we need still to have a hierarchy about what should happen in terms of how we think about it. So the way we think about it is essentially identifying the hazard, looking at the risk from a public health perspective, that's what we do, but from an individual perspective, that's clearly where our primary care teams are thinking all the time. We look at the context of that individual, so their living situation, who else is around them, what's the risk to others of that person, do they pose, hence all of the conversations around high-risk accommodation, aged care, residential care, boarding houses, prisons, that sort of thing. And then the time frame. We've, we've, say, we've been saying in public health that to get ahead, we have to think ahead. So we're not just thinking about what's happening now, but we are preparing. And also, if we can see something coming or if something's looming, then we're changing our thinking about how we then might order who might be at risk, especially over time when we know a higher percentage of aged care workers and aged care residents are vaccinated or a higher or increasing percentage of disability workers and disability residents are getting vaccinated. So that also then over time, changes that whole complexion of risk in terms of the person who might be sitting in front of you and the risks to them. So that's a very general summary about how we might be thinking about risk, thinking about the hazard, thinking about the risk to the individual, thinking about what we can do about that risk, but also in the context of that, that individual is located, and then the time frame and over time, how that risk may change, may increase or may decrease over time for that person. Thanks, Bianca, and thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm Director of Women's Services over at Barwon Health, and um, I'd like to talk to you about COVID vaccination in pregnancy and maybe allay any concerns or fears that you might have. Um, okay, so if we go to the next slide. When um, I was in the UK until August last year, and when COVID, vaccination, uh, COVID infection first happened, um, our first... Um, impression was that it wasn't really having the impact on pregnant women the same way that um, influenza has but as time's gone on it's become evident that actually that's not the case and it's become evident that there is an impact on pregnant women and this impact tends to be in those higher risk groups so your black and ethnic minorities your obese women your women with comorbidities so if a woman gets um, COVID-19 infection and she's pregnant, then her risk of admission to hospital is fivefold and her risk to admission to intensive care and need for ventilation is threefold risk. What about the fetus? And this is one area that we're all quite concerned about. The chance of a, a PREM delivery is much higher um, no, not much higher, it is higher, but part of that is theatrogenic. We're delivering women because they are sick um, and it's deemed more appropriate that they're delivered so that 
we can actually concentrate on getting them better. Um, but once a baby's born, it's for that reason, it's much more likely to go to the NICU. And there are some cases where newborns have the, the coronavirus. But also there's a, a small increased risk in stillbirth. What we do know is that the risk to your pregnant women is much higher in the third trimester. And that's possibly because of the higher body mass um, and the challenges of being pregnant at that stage. Next slide. Um, so there's a talk about vaccination in pregnancy and there are concerns, particularly from women themselves, but also from medical professionals. Um, but we know from experience, um, real life experience of 130,000 women in the US and 5,000 women in Scotland, um, that vaccination in pregnancy is safe. The recommendation is either Cominati or Moderna. And the reason that these are recommended is this is where we have the experience. Um, we don't have any great experience of AstraZeneca in pregnancy. So that's why it's not particularly being recommended, not because we don't think it's safe. It's just that we don't have any evidence that it's safe. So the adverse effects of the vaccination is the same as for the non-pregnant population, you know, the sore arm, the pyrexia, um, these sorts of things. Um, we know from the UK that there are no admissions to hospital in the UK of fully vaccinated pregnant women. There are five women who are, have been hospitalized following one vaccine, uh, following the first dose of vaccine, but those have been fully vaccinated, there have been no admissions to hospital. Um, it's safe to give the Pfizer vaccine at all stages of pregnancy. There's evidence of women receiving it um, periconception in first trimester with no safety concerns at all. And But ideally, if you're going to vaccinate your pregnant women, you really want them vaccinated before the third trimester if possible, because that's the time of greatest risk. There's also good evidence that there's um, passive immunity confirmed on the newborn from vaccinated women. So there's your double whammy. You're going to protect the newborn from other people in the house should they get um, infected. So next slide. So going forward, pregnant women should be routinely offered the vaccine and are now category 1B. But I understand this issue around how are we actually going to achieve that because the because the um, processes haven't caught up with the change in direction. If you are struggling with any of your women with that conversation and that shared decision-making, the Australian government have produced this really nice um, decision guide for women, and that's freely available and easy to get to. And it's, it's written in such a way that you could actually print it off and give it to women to take away and read. And I didn't mention breastfeeding as well. Breastfeeding, it's, it seems to be absolutely fine and the vaccine doesn't seem to get passed over in the breast milk. We, so it's really on all of us to have that conversation with women and you know, offer them and make them aware because like Bianca said, that there was no great fanfare that this was available to everybody. Um, it's always been available to women who have comorbidities, but there isn't this great fanfare that, that it's available to everybody. Um, and certainly from my point of view, sitting in a, an antenatal clinic with pregnant women, having this conversation, the, the question is, well, where do I go to get it? And that 
So I need help from you guys to tell me where I can send my women so that they can get a Pfizer vaccine if they want it. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Geraldine. Okay, thanks, Geraldine. Well, with that, I'm going to hand over to Linda Govan because Linda Govan's going to provide a PHN update and, and talk about how we are addressing these things from an organisational level. Thanks. Thanks, Bianca. Good morning, everyone. Um, I guess just in regards to if you've got questions from the practice, um, just to ask, yes, you can contact us at the PHN to discuss eligibility as well. We can go through the guidance with you. Um, and, and if you've got, if we can't resolve it, I usually flick a, a question to Kate Graham as well. So that's always helpful, all the public health unit. So we're here as a resource to support you in all the confusion around eligibility. Um, I just wanted to, I guess, just give an update where we are with the number of practices. So we've actually got 143 across our region. Um, in the Barwon Southwest region, we've got 97 general practices, 30 of which are now included in the Pfizer rollout. In the Grampians, we've got 46 with 20 now. Um, allocated to give Pfizer as well, so that's good. And 13 new ones, including that those numbers will start mid-August. A brief pharmacy update. We're just starting to get some information there. Um, you may have noted Scott Morrison recently said there'll be 3,900 pharmacies coming on board. Uh, we are seeking further details of, of the process, but we do know um, that three in our PHN region, Dimbola, Buninyong and Koroit, are listed as commencing on the 19th of July. I think at this stage only Buninyong is, is um, actively involved and they are on the eligibility checkup, so that's interesting. Um, but I'll, we'll give you more updates as we, as we learn more about the process as well. In regards to um, aged care um, vaccination pathways, we continue to work closely with, with all of the private RACFs to make sure that their staff know what the um, pathways are to access vaccinations and up to date that's included a lot of inreach from our public health units and a big thank you to the P PHUs for that. Um, that we've had in the past, we've had Healthcare Australia, Aspen, uh, we've also had some GP inreach as well. To speed the process up, the Commonwealth have funded ISOS, International SOS, in our region, they'll be setting up two hubs, one in Geelong, one in Ballarat. Um, Bupa Ballarat have put their hand up to host that. That'll start mid-August. They'll provide appointment-based bookings for private rec staff. There's about 500 in Ballarat that still need at least the first dose. And ISOS will then do outreach right up into the regions for the rats up there that need um, support as well. So, again, we're having lots of uh, conversations. We get a, a weekly update from the My, My Edge Care portal on the number of staff that need vaccination. So it's a, an ongoing process. But um, 17th of September is the deadline. And the last, uh, just a reminder, if you need PPE, you can order it through our um, online order form or contact your practice facilitator. We've got some increased stock coming in from the national stockpile, which includes face shields, which is good rather than goggles. Um, yeah, so if you need some more stock, just go ahead and order and we'll get it out to you as quickly as we can. And we do have that new COVID inquiry email address as well. So you can um, send us any questions to that email. And I think that's it. Thanks. Uh, Linda, how are we going to help our poor practice managers and front de you know, desk operators get around this eligibility piece? Um, I think at, at the moment, call us. We put we put information in every week in our COVID nineteen newsletter um, around any updates as well. But um, yeah, and and the two links that I put in a little bit earlier in the chat, they're the I guess they're the, the guidance at the moment that the Commonwealth have, as well as um, keeping up to date with what the state guidance is. So 
it's not an easy fix, Bianca, but we're here to answer questions as Great, well. Great, thanks. And just check that you've got, uh, that you've subscribed to the um, vaccination email. I thought I was, but I was getting the West Vic news. I was confused. Make sure you're subscribed to the vaccination email because it's a fantastic one-pager with, I think, responds to all our, you know, all our call-outs. For, we just want one page that has all the vital links. It's on the vaccination email. Um, Jeff, Urquhart, are you in a position to bring yourself off mute to give us a quick um, Bowen update? Uh, yeah, thanks, Bianca. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, just a quick um, um, Bowen PHU update just um, on bookings and contacting SIS. So with regard to the Ford hub bookings, um, we've moved to the Victorian centralised booking system known as CVMS. So um, it's quite different to what you've been using before, um, but a um, few little um, teething problems, probably they've all been sorted. It does offer a longer lead time for booking vaccinations. Um, if you've got any problems with 1A1Bs on that site, um, certainly contact GP liaison at Barn Health and we've got a priority vaccination link that you can have. Um, so there's no walk-ins for Pfizer, just a reminder about that. And over 60s, AstraZeneca can walk in to the Ford Hub. Um, and then just I put in the chat a little thing about contacting the SIS. Um, probably email is the best um, if you've got any questions about referrals or um, problems. Um, with the vaccination process um, email, which I put in the link. Um, the phone lines are getting hammered, so there's very poor, long wait time. So that's about it from me. And I um, believe um, we've got um, Misha Coleman coming next week, possibly from the um, Bowen Health PHU. So that's Thanks all for to me. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks so much. Thanks to Misha for agreeing to come and see us. Now, it's not on next week. I just want to clarify, I'm going to throw myself in some powder next week. Wish me luck. Um, so we are not having a session next week. I'm sorry. Um, but we'll be on again in two. And uh, either Misha will be there that one or, or the following. Thanks so much to Geraldine. Yes. Did you want to say something, Geraldine? Yeah. Just one more thing. Um, Mercy Perinatal Health have got a twilight um, education session on the 5th of August. I think it's in the link somewhere. Um, I'll send Bianca the link. Yes, please. So do. if anybody wants to listen to that, it's free to zoom into. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Um, so thanks for, so much for coming along today, Geraldine, and um, nice to meet you. Nice for the region to meet you and welcome. And also thanks so much to Robin and Rosemary um, from the Grampians Public Health Unit and big um, uh, congrats for an, an incredible effort in the last couple of weeks and ongoing. And thanks for your ongoing support. I certainly feel a little bit more contained this week. I hope you do too. Um, there's lots going on. Um, so let's keep in touch one week off and we'll see you again in two weeks. Um, send us some, get on the evaluation um please let us know what are we going to cover in the future sessions what else do you want to know about vaccines and neurology vaccines and cardiology do you want stuff about hesitancy um you know what else do we do you want us to bring to you uh we look forward to see you and when we come back we will be seeing you each week so um yeah thanks everyone and thanks for all your contributions we'll see you in in a fortnight jump on to our aod and youth echo um mondays one to two they're they're just they're, they're really kind of cracking on. They've been really great. So uh, come along if you've got things that you want to run past a psychiatrist. I think Echo is possibly the only way to actually speak to a psychiatrist currently. They're so oversubscribed. Um, but we've got Harry Hill, we've got our own Mark Davis, GP, presenting at the next um, uh, AOD Echo on Monday about Matod. Um, and we kind of, we're going to move on with an eating disorders theme in primary care the following week. Anyway, I'll just keep talking until we all go. But anyway, thank you so much, everyone. Um, it's always a pleasure and we'll see you in a fortnight's time. 
This series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Misbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Misbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project Echo COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.